It says recording will start soon. All right. Soon so, is good. Uno momento. Okay, it is being recorded. All right. So, um, yeah, my name is Wade. I write for Show Snob and various other sites. You know, live in the Midwest, basically in the middle of nowhere, the UP of Michigan. You might have never even heard of the place. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, I know I know a little bit about who you are. I, I did some research and I've got some questions. Sure, so thank um, you, anytime Jenna. you're ready. Yeah, I'm at your service, whatever you need. All right. So um, can you elaborate on your creative process for scoring the Griselda soundtrack, particularly your decision to incorporate the harpsichord, choir, and classical classical guitar, and how these elements contribute to the narrative? Well, first of all, thanks for taking the time to talk to me at all, man. Oh, sure. um, these are really cool things, and I would, you know, before I got to do the interviews, I would always listen to all of them and this and read them. And so for this, for me, this is a nice privileged experience. So I'm grateful. Um, as far as writing for Griselda, it was really that the fact that the director was a really creative person. His name is Andy Bies, and we ended up speaking for like a month and a half before I wrote anything. And we just talked a lot. We had a lot of conversations and trying to figure out what it was going to be like because the story takes place in Miami. Yeah. In Colombia, but it takes place in Miami in the 70s and 80s. And I'm older, so I saw Scarface, you know, when it, you know, came out. And there's oh, like yeah. the fantastic film Al Pacino and playing the role of Tony Montana. And so that was a score written by Giorgio Moroder. And it was a really synth heavy score, really cool. But the music, so we, he made a playlist and he sent it to me in like a Spotify link. And uh, I was listening to all that and it was kind of synthy music. And I go, okay, I understand. We're going to try to capture that. But then we kept talking and then he's, you know, visually capturing the spirit of it, sonically capturing the spirit of it and the songs that are usually used, which I never have anything to do with as a composer. I'm, I do one side and the source music is done by a music supervisor. In this case, Liza Richardson, who's really great. And uh, where you have the found songs and the mood setting thing when you walk into a club, what's playing, you know what I mean? Donna Summer, you know, yeah. uh, and that kind of stuff and Blondie or whatever. And so it's like that was taken care of on that side. So we started talking about what about a different approach and he made a playlist of classical music and and really dramatic classical music. And I started thinking, what if we do opera, man? Just like over the top, like yeah. just just beyond like just massive. And, and so that was a conversation starter and after the playlist was sent and then he sent me the, op the opening scene of the show and he goes i don't know if it needs music it's just i don't i don't think it needs music but you get the sense of what's happening and so the you know what our character is going through and then i started watching it and then i um and there's a moment she stops at the stairs and you see on her hand like the camera put, gets close up and you see blood on the hand and then i i usually do write by like singing into my phone like any like a fan like i'm looking at the picture and i start going like like literally like that and i started like whatever reacting to the picture like dun, dun, whatever I, a melody comes up and then i have it in my phone and then i put it in the in the in what's called the daw digital audio workstation and i started kind of flesh it out and make real notes instead of my stupid voice and um 
but that happened and i kind of liked it and i was like dude this feels like opera like like an like an overture to an opera like you're gonna see a larger than life story right so yeah. so i started doing that and i i it has choir in it and then harpsichord in it and i sent it to him and i was like i don't know dude he's probably gonna hate it he goes carlos i love it i think it's gonna be great and i was like oh my god and from there on we just took off and then to, to specifically answer the question about the harpsichord it was uh it was the thing is that throughout the story she gives speeches like to her team you know to the people that are working for her to kind of psych them up and give empower them and like like it's like a real leader kind of thing you know and what i found is like an opera in the classical era there used to be this thing called the the continuo which is like the harpsichord would would support when people are reciting and the recitative is what it's called but like whenever they're singing exposition they're like you know the uncle's coming to the hound now what are we gonna do no, when it's not the songs themselves but it's like the setup mm -hmm. um there's always harpsichord playing a chord the uncle's coming to town what are we gonna do you know so i started thinking what if we have harp a like harpsichord accompanying her speeches like it's like a recitative yeah. like it's like totally operatic and her her voice is a melody instead of the melody you know what i mean her voice is the melody and that's sort of like and and i sent the first speech that she had done i started doing this thing and then the colors started to happen it was like opera was like orchestral classical orchestra with the harpsichord featured and choir and choir dude we have like you know how when you hear low notes in, in films you always know like something scary is happening like jaws like don't yeah. don't don't right low notes are trope it's a trope right and it's a device you use to make you feel like well choir is a trope that's the sound of choir means epic like in your mind yeah. you hear choir you're like oh i large and her story was larger than life so those all those elements come in by by uh you know by planning but also a lot of them by just taking a risk and we got lucky man so and if you have to sound like a child's musical box that means something demented is probably going to happen of course if it's <laughs> yeah. at two o'clock in the morning yes and the scene is dark it ain't good it ain't good to hear yeah. that it's you a know bad yeah so, um the griselda series is set in the 70s in miami as you said and um so how did you approach infusing the cultural elements into the score to enhance the storytelling especially considering the series setting and the theme yeah um you know being well i grew up in central america my mom's from guatemala my dad's from cuba and so and i happened my dad moved a lot we i grew up i was born in washington dc moved to miami when i'm three then my dad gets a job opportunity in guatemala we moved to guatemala then to costa rica when i'm nine and to panama when i'm 11 just moved a lot so i had a lot of spanish upbringing cultural upbringing but i was like into rock and roll man so i was like you know i rejected all that music i was like whatever is this is the old folks people music you know kind of thing but it was in my 20s when i started studying music seriously that i started paying attention to latin american music and going holy shit, this is really good stuff like it's really interesting and why do i keep clapping on the wrong beat for cuban music you know and it's like oh i get it and i i started learning things that made me more curious about it and and so as i was before i did the film stuff i was doing a lot of classical music i was writing chamber music music for guitar music for orchestra and and my the writing i was doing was really like kind of latin american 
uh, performing arts stuff, you know, like stuff like that we perform on stage, but it was based on Latin American rhythms. So that kind of thing was something that I liked the idea of and I felt very comfortable doing. And it happened to land into this question that you're asking because it really is about uh, orchestral music, but not just playing the, you know, like European orchestra, but it's like an orchestra with a Latin American kind yeah. of vibe. The rhythms are on the guitar, whatever are Latin American for sure. So um, let's see. Um, how closely did you work with the director to align the musical elements with the vision he had for the series? And were there any specific challenges or breakthrough moments that you would like to mention? Yeah, you know, the, like I mentioned earlier, Andy Bice was like a dream to work with because he really just gave me room. He, he, he wasn't like micromanaging anything. He was just, once he loved what I sent him at the beginning, yeah. And this never happens. It's usually like revision. It's a job of revision, that job we do. You know, it's yeah. always like kind of, okay, we like it, but we're not sure about the middle. Okay, let me work on the middle, I'll send it back. This isn't working at all. Okay, let me see if I have another approach. No matter what I'm thinking about it, it's what they want to hear and feel, right? That's my job. And And so this was just a unicorn of an experience because he was very much, once he loved it at the beginning, out of the way. One of the great experiences that I had was... Um, doing the uh there's a scene that happens uh at the dayland mall it's like the dayland mall shootout that's a thing that happens in like episode three or four i think it's three and um i don't remember man um but the thing is like it's a it's a heist you know they got to plan this thing out and they got up they're 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 gonna griselda's doing a hit on a couple people that they she yeah. has to do a hit on and i just the feeling i had when i saw the scene already is it's, it was sent to me was very much of a of a movie called The Usual Suspects. I don't know. It's a '90s film that is really really good. I think scored I by John Ottman. Yeah, it's a really good. It's a it's a fantastic film. And there was a feeling I had when I was watching that movie. There's a moment when they're doing a setup and a heist. They have to kind of catch somebody that's in an elevator ride. And the way I felt watching that movie, I remember going, "Oh my god, this is so freaking cool!" And I when I saw this scene, I felt the same way. And I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. I gotta capture that feeling, you know, like musically, you know. And and I and I'm very happy on how it turned out because it's just like, dude, it's like you're like in on what's gonna happen until it happens, you know. And and the the funner thing is that the music stops when the actual thing starts to go down. And so it's you know, kind of Lord of the Ringsy. I don't know if you saw those movies, but oh yeah, I, I saw those. Even I'm I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings person. Yeah, uh, yeah. Me and my two brothers saw them in the yeah. area. Yeah, each and yeah. every one of them. So and that's that's the thing. There's like always music's building until the battle, and then the battle happens. There's no music, and it's so raw. The sound of the clink of the armor and the yeah, yeah. spears and whatever and that that it feels you're more even more immersed. But had the music not been there, you wouldn't be as. So that's sort of like the that scene. I'm really happy about. I just just love to get to do that that's a moment i was like holy crap i get to do this that's that was the moment i think for me as a I, fan i watched i watched two documentaries on griselda yeah. uh they were called the co the cocaine okay, cowboys yeah and one yeah. of the one of the things that stuck with me is that there's this i don't remember the guy's name but he he hated her so much that he stayed in the mall like all day long himself not like a henchman but he wanted yeah. to like take her out so he stayed in that mall that she frequented 
Oh wow, yeah, no, I, this that is, thought kind of stuck with me. It's a, it's an interesting character. It is a really she's and the thing about the story, it's like, look, man, it's I don't think it's trying to make uh, it's maybe if, if anything is trying to explain, but definitely not excuse her. You know what yeah. I mean? And and she's like somebody that you're not supposed to root for. But those are the kind of stories I like because you do you find yourself kind of being on her side throughout, but you shouldn't be. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you have well, every you reason every reason even not like with, with somebody like freddy krueger like even even though you know he's bad like he's one of the worst you can't wait you're, if you're, a fan of movies, you're kind of a fan of freddy you know yeah, what I mean? it's, it's kind yeah, of the same are. thing if you're, if you're absolutely right? absolutely dude i mean that's 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 why that's what makes it fun because that's what makes it entertaining i guess you know and yeah. at least it was fun for me to work on because it and I, this lady sofia vergara really really nailed the job i mean she did really well you know yeah. and, you know she's perceived as a comedian you know and, and funny lady and she is and but uh but she nailed this There's a duality to the character too i'm sure yep so um another th another another thing i have to ask about is the uh you know for netflix's the queen's gambit you got a grammy and two emmys for that which is pretty impressive i mean how do you approach scoring these different genres and themes and what unique challenges did Griselda present compared to your previous work? Oh man. I mean, it's always different. I think that's the fun is about this is that you get to work in these different genres, you know, it goes from that. It, I'd love to do horror. Horror is like, you know, something like you were mentioning earlier. I love that stuff too, growing up. And, um, I think it's just, it has to always fit the story, you know, and that's sort of like Queen's Gambit was the opposite of, of Griselda because I, I had months of trials that were not working uh, and, you know, where the director would call me and say, you're scoring the wrong movie, you know, which is a really good note to get actually, you know, because I'm thinking I'm doing something musically that's going to work for a character for the point of view I'm seeing it. Like one particular scene was like a chess sequence I did, and um, the first chess sequence that that I had to score, and I kept thinking, well, you know, she was young in the, in that scene. She's like a girl in an orphanage playing this old guy, and I was like, well, what if I make her the light, you know, in a very dark environment in a very dark setting that she has, and I scored that, and I was very happy with it. I sent it him. He's like, this isn't what it's about, you know, and I started thinking, what am I going to do? Because it was months of not. Oh, I can't hear you. Tell me if you can hear me. Okay, now. I can hear you now. One second, I think. One second. Okay, I'm back, and let me do one more settings thing. Sorry, I, it just it just sort of switched. Okay. Let me get the microphone to be the right microphone. Okay, are you there? Are you there? Yep, I'm still here. Okay. So Man, I think the microphone got bored and it's like, dude, shut up. So it just, just <laughs> me. but yeah. I'll, I'll give it short. The thing is like, I ended up um, thinking of the story as a fairy tale and a dark fairy tale is what saved me because I was trying to do all this stuff. But all I realized is that she's a woman who's a victim of the choices that were made for her by the time she's nine years old. So and I started to imagine like the Disney movies, like when they once upon a time and the book would zoom in and then it would open up. You know, and then the camera would push yeah. in. 
and but a dark story and that and that's what made the cues that i started writing for the queen's gambit work but it took months and so every story is a challenge every story is different and how you get to what they approve is a different journey every time sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's not but it's always worth it and i grow you know i'm always growing because i have to do research on what i'm writing about or the characters are what was the kind of music that they listened to what was the kind of music that existed at the time where is it taking place like all the things we were talking about before and so you're always learning which is the goal of life i think it, you know you just keep yeah. that brain up and sharing it and and you die so another thing you're you're also uh, you've also been involved in education so how how has that um impacted your your compositions at all well or it does it does because i first of all i teach at the frost school of music i've been i'm the chairperson for the film scoring uh, department and so i teach what i do and uh directly and and what i like about it is i'm sharing all my mistakes with the students and so i tell them what not to do but you know when you're 20 uh, you don't care saying you're going to do it anyway because you nobody wants to be told what to do but i tell them at least the mistakes i'm making so they don't make them and the idea is for students to become better than me the idea is for me to share all i know so they can grab all i know and then improve upon it and then we get better music to be consumed by the audience and so it's like it's a giving thing and i've always i've been involved in academia since the 90s i was a teaching assistant at usc and then I was teaching at the Pasadena Conservatory and at USC, and then I moved to Miami in 2010. And um, I've been at University of Miami since then. I've been like 13 years, 14 years almost. Holy crap. Yeah, Jesus. that's one of the ironies about teaching is that if you're doing your job well, you become irrelevant. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because <laughs> your students have already learned everything and they don't need Yes, <laughs> that's the goal. The goal is to be with, like, I'll turn into, like, you remember, like, I don't know if you remember a movie, what is it called? The Dark Crystal, where... Where they would these creatures would would look at the crystal and it would suck their life out. I really don't remember anything. Yeah, I don't blame it. you. I don't blame you. But there's like this crystal that sucks your sucks your life and drains your life force. That's what students are supposed to do with me, you know. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So um, let's. Well, I guess I'll wrap things up here because we've been talking sure. for a while already. Sure. Flies. But uh, what future projects are you working on? That's well, right now about. Well, basically, I'm sort of superstitious because I don't like to talk about things and not because like I, I don't want to say I'm not allowed to say that's stupid. I don't believe in that crap. But I do believe like if I talk about something and then it doesn't work out, then it's kind of well, stupid sure, to talk sure. about it. But I but I'm working on like something right now with Scott and then also something else um, with uh, hacks. We're doing season three now. We're kind of finishing that up. And so it's a and I, I'm working with David Stahl, who's my co-composer on that. He's been with me since Hacks season two. S-T-H-L? David Stahl, S-T-A-L. Oh, S-T-A-L. And then David, first name. And then we're working on Hacks season three now. And we're like in the throes of it right now. So we're just sort of finishing. We're halfway through. We've done like four out of the nine or eight or nine episodes I think the season has. Crap, I think it may have ten, but I think it's nine. But, you know, so that, but it's, it's, it's a different approach and that's a comedy, man. So it's like totally different style of music from the yeah. dramatic stuff of Griselda or Monster Spade or, you know, or Lessons in Chemistry, which is in the fifties. And, and this is like a comedy, 
that's a contemporary comedy with a you know very unique characters and the job of music is different than it is in a drama so sure. so for me it's always educational man i'm always learning about it and making mistakes along the way of course you know you're like oh they didn't like that why didn't they like that oh okay because you don't know what you're talking about in this sequence oh, okay I, I get it you know you learn you're always yeah. learning so well i guess that uh that should probably be enough questions for for the article i guess um Thanks, I guess, man. is there anything else you'd like to add? No, man, I like your shirt. Oh, yeah. Do you know <laughs> who this guy is? I, I always say Darwin. I don't no, know. I know Prince. Who is he? He was, a, he, was born a, he was born a prince in Russia, but he renounced his uh, position and became a revolutionary anarchist. Oh, wow. Oh. No, dude, that's a great, great T-shirt. That's now a great joke, too. Because yeah, it's hell yeah. Joke on Prince. Yes, musician. but he was a prince. No, that's why, formerly known as... <laughs> I, I had all that down. I was like, what's Darwin doing? Because I kept thinking, you know, I see that it looks like a picture of Darwin to me. But oh. obviously it's not. No, he's a... You know? He's a... It's, it's tough because the shirt is actually very funny. What's the guy's name? Actually nobody knows about him. I mean, yeah, I, at least that you're going to meet in the average day, uh, Kropotkin. <laughs> Kropotkin? P-O-T-K-I-N? Yeah. K-R-O-P-O-T-K-I-N. <laughs> okay. Oh, I see. K-R-O-P. Hold on. Oh, Kropotkin. I got it. Yeah, there he is. I got it. I'm looking at his I'll do some research now. This is really cool. Who, who else cut. in history started off a prince and then was like, now nah, I'm going to become a revolutionary anarchist. And <laughs> I oh, can't think of anybody thing, like that. Closest thing would be Buddha, you know, but, but oh, he, yeah. instead of, instead of the Buddha, that was a person, uh, got his name, but he became Bodhisattva. He renounced his princely thing and became, but he went to a cave and meditated, you know, and <laughs> yeah. so, but he renounced the thing. But but this guy, I'm gonna I'm gonna read. I'm on my. Oh, he, he also escaped from prison once. <laughs> oh really? I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna read this dude's life. This is very exciting. Well, oh, thank it you. is interesting. There should be a movie about him, but I yeah. don't think Hollywood would ever go for it. I'll, I'll talk to my people. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know anybody <laughs> like that, dude. Well, I have no power. No, it's funny because like that's what pe people think. Oh, you guys got it. We don't. You know, you're working for people. It's always like that. It's so yeah, weird. Yeah. You know, like. It's it's not like uh, you hang out uh, at this club, no, bro. I'm in Miami anyway, so like I'm I'm in I'm never in the production process, but in what's called post production. So it's always after, you know. And everybody's gone home except the director, and they're asking, "Where's the music?" So, <laughs> well, right at that, I'll I'll let you go, and uh, you have a wonderful day and all that stuff. And nice have a good one, man. Same yep. to you. Bro. Take care. Yep. Bye.